0: Welcome to Because It Is, a conversation about faith, justice, and other things that matter. This podcast is hosted by Second Baptist Downtown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Second Baptist is a vibrant, historic downtown congregation whose faith compels us to seek justice, care for the oppressed, and pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. We are a unique Baptist church that prioritizes diversity and inclusion for all. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Hewlett Glower, scholar emeritus and former interim pastor at Second Baptist, and former professor of preaching and Christian scriptures at Truett Theological Seminary. Dr. Glower discusses the theme of joy throughout the Gospel of Luke. He'll help you find it in places you may not have noticed. So grab your Bible and prepare to find joy.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Because It Is. We're thrilled to have you with us. In the season of Advent, Second Baptist is trying to think deeply about the virtue of joy, uh, the fruit of the spirit of joy, uh, the command we've received to be joyful people, and what that means in our lives, what joy is, how it is manifest, what joy isn't, uh, how we know it when we see it. And when I began thinking about how to answer those questions, I reflexually turned uh, to one of the people I ask when I think of any question. Uh, and that's Hewlett Glower, a friend of mine and a friend of our church. And if you know him, he's a friend of yours too. Uh, so Dr. Glower, welcome to the podcast again. Is this your third time on the podcast? I think so. I, I
0: think, think it so. is too
1: which means you're in the lead at the moment. (laughs) Welcome. We're glad that you're here and uh, looking forward to your wisdom today. I I wonder to get us started, uh, just personally, before we get into the biblical text, when you think about the word joy, what comes to mind? What is joy to you?
2: Well, I think um, for much of my life, uh, there was sort of a the notion that joy is happiness and uh, happiness is a is a very important commodity in our culture and happiness is a good thing it's a thing to be desired but in the end joy is to happiness as the ocean is to a puddle happiness is dependent on what happens
3: mm.
2: it's ephemeral emotional response of what happens And as an ephemeral emotion, it can be here today and gone tomorrow. Mm. Joy, on the other hand, is born of faith. It is a deep-seated, profound sense of assurance that lives by faith and not by sight. Joy resides in the deepest part of our being, in our very soul. It's based on spiritual realities and not not dependent on what happens. Or does Mm. not happen, as one person put it, happiness happens, but joy abides. Mm. I like what Teilhard de Chardin said about joy. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Mm. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. So, what is the story of Jesus all about? What is the incarnation? What is the Crucifixion? What is the resurrection? What is it all about? Well, we learn from Luke, of course, that it's about great joy. Mm. Not just momentary happiness, but great joy. Deep and abiding joy. Soul searing joy. We are, as several people have said, we're an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. That means that despite appearances, joy will win in the end. Mm. So joy is something that we can have, not ephemeral, emotional, but real, deep,
3: soul-transforming joy.
1: Uh, That is so powerful. And that line, joy is to happiness, what an ocean is to a puddle. Uh, if I use that, do I have to give you credit for that? No,
2: you don't have to give me credit. Just send oh. me a
1: check. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a check. Um, thinking about joy in those words, I wonder, in order for us to get a handle on it, is there a time in your life when you think back, and you know you were experiencing joy. Can you think of a time where joy intersected your existence and you knew it?
2: Uh, I could think of a number of times, but I want to share one with you that I think the people of Second will be able to identify with. In fact, it happened in the sanctuary there at Second Baptist Church. folks will remember that I suffered a stroke about two months before I was to become pastor interim pastor there at 2nd. As I was recovering that year, the church was very much a part of that recovery. In fact, for 12 months, uh, Sheila and I traveled back and forth to Little Rock as a service interim pastor. And the church was very much a part of my recovery. So because of my love for the congregation, and because I wanted to express my love and appreciation in a tangible way, at the, at the end of the service on the last Sunday I was there, at the end of the benediction, I raised my right arm and hand high enough to salute them. Now, I hadn't been able to raise my hand at all the, when I started that year, but gradually through the year, it got higher and higher. And so, in the end, at the end of the benediction, I raised my hand and I saluted the congregation, and they responded with a sustained standing ovation. And my friend, joy reverberated in the depth of my soul. And that joy has been lasting, deep and lasting, and has continued to challenge me to move further, to go deeper and to recover even more. So that was an occasion where joy was uh, seared into my soul. I can remember it as if it was yesterday. And it reminds us that joy is something that is Uh, community-oriented. It is something that requires others to share it with. So I have a feeling that not only did I experience joy on that day, but I think some of the congregation experienced a lasting joy as well on that day. So there's one example uh, of where I was happy, yes, to be sure, but it was more than happiness. It was that deep abiding, profound sense of joy and it's carried me through the years.
1: Well, I don't think that day impacted the church. I know that day impacted the church. I've I've heard people speak of that moment uh, years later, and how it impacted their lives. Uh, and I like the way you said that joy has a way of uh, searing itself in the deepest parts of who you are. You remember it uh, when you experience it. So we've talked more personally. Let's uh, let's get biblical uh, for a second. Uh, One of the reasons that we're talking about joy in the Advent season is because the birth narrative, in particular in the Gospel of Luke, is saturated with joy, Uh, and that serves as a platform off of which Luke launches his entire Gospel. So one of the things we want to do today is invite our listeners, maybe even to pull out a Bible and revisit the the birth narrative of Jesus. Uh, It's so familiar. Our ears are often dulled to it. And yet, joy is bursting out of every scene and inviting us to join in the dance. Uh, So, Hewlett, I wonder when you look at the birth narrative of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, uh, where you see joy?
2: Well, it's all over the birth narrative. Uh, Normally, we think of the birth narrative as Luke 1 and 2, those first two chapters, the infancy narrative of Jesus. And from the very beginning of that narrative, we have joy in the picture. It it begins for me in chapter one, verse 14. So people might want to look at that. It's the announcement of the Baptist birth, Zechariah, in the temple. And in that announcement, the angel says to Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness. So there is the first indication that what's about to happen beginning with John the Baptist is going to bring joy, Uh, not just gladness, but joy and gladness. Then I go over to chapter one, verse 44. And in this pericope, Mary, having received the announcement of Jesus' birth, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country. And Elizabeth, says to her upon Mary's greeting, as soon as I heard your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Uh, it's Luke's way of saying that uh, the joy Jesus is bringing was known to the Baptists, and uh, it's been known from all time. And this is a way of saying that. This birth is gonna bring joy for all time and for all people. And John even recognized it in the womb. And then I go to verse 46 of chapter 1, and here we have Mary's wonderful song, uh, Anything But a Lullaby, uh, a ton of breaks, really, the Magnificat. And she begins it by saying this in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So Mary's first response in this beautiful and powerful song is to rejoice. Joy is coming in Jesus. And then, of course, uh, in verse 58 of chapter one, when John the Baptist is born, Elizabeth's friends and relatives rejoice at the birth of the Baptist. So there is joy all through this first chapter. Sometimes we miss it because we tend to kind of jump over this chapter to get to uh, that Magnificat, the end of it, and then to get to the actual birth story in chapter two. But it must not be um, forgotten that Luke imbues his narrative with joy. Uh, it's all over the first chapter, and that of course culminates in chapter two in the birth story itself, where the angel announces that Jesus coming will be great joy for all the people, mm-hmm. not just joy, great joy for all the people. Mm-hmm. so this birth narrative is just uh a plethora of joy. And it sounds the note that I think Luke wants us to carry through the gospel. All he says and does beneath it all is an abiding joy. And he hopes we'll catch that joy uh, by catching that Jesus and by following that Jesus.
1: Right. Can I ask a quick question real quick? Uh, Sure. One of, the, one of the things I've noticed just as you're walking through this birth narrative is uh, definitely the frequency with which joy shows up and the profundity of that joy. And yet that joy seems to be experienced by the people you would least expect to have joy, right? Uh, a washed right. up clergy couple, a young virgin. Uh, in Mary's Magnificat, it's the great social reversal. How do you make sense of Luke being, dare we say, uh, the most joyful gospel, at least explicitly, and then Luke also being the most socially subversive gospel? Does that make sense? How does joy yeah. and the great reversal that Luke talks about? Uh, h- how does that hold hands here? Well, I think it's clear that <clears throat> that Jesus will live a life
2: that. Um is fraught with uh, difficulty. Mm -hmm. And he will die on the most torturous death a person can possibly die. And yet he walks through life with joy. Um, I think Luke is saying to us that these two things go hand in hand. Mm. Joy is walking with God. And as we walk with God, we know this abiding kind of joy Hmm. that means that whatever the circumstances may be, that despite despite the circumstances, there is still the possibility of joy. Uh, It's not dependent on what happens to a person, whether it be good or whether it be bad. It's dependent upon our relationship with God. Uh, God gives us this joy as he gave us Jesus. And so to be in subversion to the world, which I think Christians always are supposed to be, including today, to be in subversion to the world requires that we have a, an anchor beyond the difficulties that we may face in that subversive activity. Right. And that anchor is joy. Mm. A joy is knowing what the outcome will be. Even though it doesn't look like that now, it's knowing what the outcome will be. And walking into the reality of that outcome gives us a real joy, not just laughter, though there is laughter, but laughter fraught with tears often. So that, um, that anchor in joy enables us to move on in subversion.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Uh, one of our favorite s- scholars, someone we talk about a lot, uh, Fred Craddock, uh, old preacher, now deceased. I once heard him say that uh, the Christmas story is so filled with joy that you can't tell the story so much as you have to sing the story. And I think even beyond the word joy, uh Everybody in these birth narratives is singing. Uh, Zachariah breaks out in song. Mary breaks out in song. The angels break out in song. So even the mode of this text, Luke isn't speaking to us. Luke is singing to us. Uh, And I I think if our toes don't tap a little bit at the news of the coming of Jesus uh, and our voices rise in the moment, we're probably missing something.
2: I think you're exactly right. And this is one of the dangers we face uh, when we we put on the Christmas nativity and it's all kind of nice uh, pastel colors. Um, everything moves smoothly along. Uh, it seems like such a peaceful situation, but it's anything but a peaceful situation. Right. It's a people who are who are wandering from home. Uh, Jesus is born in a cattle trough. I mean, there's nothing comfortable about the birth story. They have to flee because of Herod. Uh, these folks are living on the edge. They're living on the margins. And violence is all around them. So uh, we, we must sing. And because we have joy, we can sing even in these circumstances. You know, I'm reminded about the civil rights movement. Mm. Uh, one of the marks of the civil rights movement was song. Right. Uh, we have overcome. We have overcome. They're saying that all the time, even though they don't appear to be overcoming. Right. In fact, they appear to be having just the opposite implications. But the joy gives us a song.
3: Mm.
2: And the joy comes from knowing God's overarching purposes which is what led people like Martin Luther King and uh, Ralph Abernathy and Fred Shultzworth, um, all these people, to be able to keep on keeping on even when it looked like what they were hoping for was not going to happen. Right. Same for us. Yes. So a song in our heart, a song on our lips is another way I think we can perpetuate the joy in our soul.
1: Right. We've centered thus far on the birth narrative of Jesus, uh, and yet to really celebrate Advent, Christmas, the birth of Christ, we need to connect it to the life of Christ and the, the broader gospel. So if the birth narrative is a springboard, how does joy show up throughout the remainder of the gospel of Luke?
2: Well, I think it's important to see how Luke has structured this gospel. And we've seen how joy is at the beginning of the narrative. It's also important to realize that joy is at the very end of the narrative as well. So let's turn to Luke 24. Mm. In Luke 24, 41, after the resurrection, the disciples are in the presence of Jesus With joy. I mean, who wouldn't be if the resurrection Christ were in our presence? But their their whole demeanor of being with Jesus is one of joy. The disciples returned to Jerusalem and listen to this with great joy. Now Mm -hmm. we only heard that one other time in Luke. We heard it first. In the narrative of the angelic announcement over Bethlehem he's going to be great joy for all the people and at the very end of the narrative the disciples return to Jerusalem with great joy right so the whole narrative is is bookended by the great joy which comes in and through Jesus
1: And and in the ancient world, when when books formed an inclusio like that, it's a it's a sign to the reader that really the entire narrative is about whatever that is, in this case, joy. Right. It's this is Luke's way of saying, if you miss the joy of this story, you've missed it. Is that right? You bet. You bet.
2: And and everything in between is. pointing to the reality of that joy and defining the nature of that joy. And that's why we have to to be sure we include Jesus' life, his teaching, his actions, everything about him is bringing that great joy to all the people. But interestingly, Luke does something else here that I think is often missed, but is very important. If we go to chapter 15, Mm. we go to one of the most um, familiar parts of this gospel. In chapter 15, and notice where this is. We looked at chapter 1, we looked at chapter uh, 24, and 15 is right about the middle. Of the gospel, right? And here we have three stories about things or people that are lost. First, the lost sheep in verses three through seven. Uh, and in that story, when the shepherd finds a sheep in verse fif- fifteen five, the shepherd rejoices. Mm-hmm. Then in fifteen seven, the shepherd invites friends and neighbors to quote. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost, unquote. And then in 15.8, Jesus says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. So three times in that parable, rejoicing is found. Then we come to the next parable. And that is the parable of the lost coin. And once again, we have rejoicing in that parable. In verse 7, the shepherd says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Then in verse 10, Jesus says, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents joy 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 and then of course 15 uh, 11 through 32 we have the lost sons the younger son we call the prodigal son and we all know the story but the important thing for us is when he comes back what do they do they celebrate they have a great celebration and um then we come to the older son in 15, chapter 15, verses 25 to 32. And the older son refuses to celebrate. Right. He refuses to come to the party. So the father says in verse 32 we had to rejoice and celebrate. We had to. Imperative. You're, yeah. Your brother was dead and has come to life again, was lost and has been found. So, in these three parables, the notion of joy is all over the place. Right. Or Luke says that Jesus came to save those who were lost. So, we have the beginning of the narrative is joy, the end of the narrative is joy, and the center of the narrative. Is joy, 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 joy. Mm. Now, if you just read the narrative one verse at a time, you may not get that. But if you take time to look at the structure of the narrative, uh, deliberately cast by Luke, who is very familiar with Greco-Roman rhetoric, Mm. uh, it's amazing the message Luke is giving us about joy we can call this the gospel of joy
3: mm.
2: the gospel of the joy of jesus which which comes to us through jesus
1: and might we uh, to go back to the story of the prodigal son uh, and i like the way you said it prodigal sons lost sons plural uh, that story ends sort of open-ended. It doesn't end. Uh, We're left out there with the older brother wondering whether he could ever get to a place to where he could join that celebration, where he could uh, experience that joy. And maybe maybe the gospel of Luke leaves us in that posture. Do we dare go to the manger? Uh, Do we dare go to the tomb? do we dare go into that house and experience that scandalous joy? Um, I'd like to say yes. And yet, because this joy turns the world as we know it upside down, oftentimes I'd rather hold it at arm's length, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. No no question about that. Uh, It's a deep joy that only comes when we're in keeping with God's purposes and um, my tendency is not to want to do that right uh, not because i want to be unfaithful i just don't want to go all the way <laughs> i don't want to go as far as jesus calls us to go and uh, so each of the gospels in their own way leave us with the choice to make and luke's choice is will we be able to celebrate the good news of great joy mm. it's for all of us right but some of us want to stay outside the party right we think we've got a better party
1: <laughs> right you hinted at something very subtly that i want to probe a little bit further with you uh you just said that luke was well versed in the greco-roman rhetoric of his day and this notion of good news or what we would call gospel, as it's as it's often translated in our texts, this notion of joy, uh, this language did not come to Luke behind stained glass windows. All right. This was language of empire that Luke is using in a subversive and alternative way. Could you speak to that a little bit about how you know, these words, joy, gospel, good news, we, we hear that in the church. And it feels like sacred speech to us. Uh, but when Luke first penned this gospel, that was not stained glass language.
2: Not at all. Uh, in fact, the word we used, gospel or good news, was used in the Roman world to speak of Caesar. Caesar. Right. The good news of Caesar Augustus, who brings you joy. Right. Uh, that was about as untrue as anything you can think of if you lived in that world and were not part of the elite. But um, when when the angels' words say good news of great joy, people would hear that. Right. And it would automatically bring to mind the good news of Caesar Augustus. Who brings you great joy. So mm. this is a slap in the face of Caesar. Right. Intentionally. Intentionally. Right. And a realization that a new king is coming and a new kingdom is beginning. And uh, this kingdom is going to be other than the kingdoms of this world.
1: That's right. So
2: they always will be a threat. And we see yeah. that in Matthew of course, when Herod can't abide, the new king is born and has all the infants in Bethlehem, male infants, put to death. So, yeah, this is subversive language all the way through. And uh, the last subversion, of course, is the greatest subversion, and that is the resurrection. Right. Uh, if Caesar thought he had Jesus because he had him in a tomb, well, he had another thing coming. I think I often leave Jesus in that tomb. Mm. It's easier for me if he's sealed up there than if he's raised from the dead alive and active. Uh, So the the challenge is, are we going to let Jesus be alive and active in our lives? He is alive and active in the world. You know, there's there's a great um, line from John Macefield's play, The Trial of Jesus. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Mm -hmm. but uh, the Roman soldier who uh, nailed Jesus to the cross is named Longinus. And after the crucifixion and the resurrection, Pilate's wife comes to him and says, Longinus, do you think he's really dead? Talking about Jesus. And Longinus says, no, madam, I don't. He's let loose on the world. Let loose on the world. Mm. And that's the great subversion. Yes. We think we have him in a tomb, but we don't. That's right. And so the reason we don't experience the joy that I think scripture talks about is because we're unwilling to become part of the, work that god is doing in the world Mm. and we have plenty in scripture to help us understand what that is don't we
1: absolutely and so when when we read those words at the beginning of the typical birth narrative that we read on christmas eve in the days of caesar augustus luke is not just saying that as a historical reference He's saying that as a theological reference, right, that right. In, this, in this world, the things that seem to be running the show and the forces that seem to have power over our lives are being met by an alternative kingdom, which is uh, the, the result of this kingdom is joy for all the people, not some of the people, not a percentage of the people, but for all the people. And that's why Jesus and Joy uh, come with each other. There, there's, uh, Jesus and Joy dance together in the Gospel of Luke.
2: Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, and we could dance together with Jesus, too, and know the joy that he alone can bring to our lives. If we will, right. if we will.
1: So, given all that we've said about Luke and beyond today, uh, what now can we say about joy? I wonder if you have any concluding thoughts to share with us.
2: For me, the deep, lasting, soul-searing joy that's possible is a joy that only comes with following Jesus. Hmm. And uh, if I were only willing to do that, Mm -hmm. uh, i do it a little bit, but not nearly enough. And therefore, I don't have always that joy that is available to me that comes as a result of following Jesus. The good news of great joy is ours to have. Uh, God is extravagant with that joy. Hmm. But that joy will bring us trials and tribulations. I would say you look for joy, you find it in Jesus. But not just uh, paying lip service to Jesus. I think it's paying life service to Jesus. Hmm. And that life service eventuates in joy. Joy with a capital J.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, as always, thanks so much for your keen insights. Um, There's no one I know who's able to give entire Gospels to people uh, like you can. And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, To our listeners, uh, we pray joy for you in this season. Uh, We pray for this abiding joy that Hewlett has described. Uh, Not only momentary happiness that's at the mercy of what's happening around you, but a joy that stands together with faith, hope, and love, and a joy that's rooted in who God is, and who God is with and for us, not just what's happening in the world in any given moment. Uh, we pray this for you. We long for this for you, uh, and we hope to celebrate this joy with you along the way. So pull out the Gospel of Luke in this season. Uh, process the depths of this joy mind the depths of this joy with us Uh, and as Hewlett just said let's follow Jesus together because that is the journey towards joy Uh, thanks Hewlett and uh, I pray that all of us in this season experience not just know not just ponder but experience the good news of great joy which is for all the people Peace be with you. Amen. Amen. As you go, go and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world. Because it is.
0: Thank you for listening to Because It Is. These are just some of the things that matter to us at Second Baptist Church downtown. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit us online at 2BCLR.com. That's the number 2BCLR.com. And like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Brittany Stilwell and edited by Randy Schoenig with Fresh Air Media.